Hello, live streamers, and welcome back. It looks like maybe the Yankees will be upping their offer to Aaron Judge. Is upping a word? I don't know, but it seems to be something that might be happening. Meanwhile, another MVP who wore the pinstripes has a new job, and there's a new wrinkle in his legacy of being one of the least lucky people in baseball history. What am I talking about? I'm going to talk about Lockdown MLB. You are Locked On MLB. Your daily MLB podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Lockdown MLB, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. This is the daily podcast where we talk about all the Major League Baseball. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me, there it is, Sully. I am an Emmy-nominated television producer who needs to scratch his nose. Ha! And I've been a podcaster for baseball for well over a decade, and I've spent the last four seasons here at the Lockdown Podcast Network, and I'm looking forward to season five, which will be coming up in March, or as we said in Massachusetts, match. You can follow us at Lockdown MLB Pods on Twitter and on Instagram. I'm your pal, Sully. I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram, and uh, be sure to tell your friends about our show. If you like baseball, if you want to just have some some good baseball chat, Talking about baseball in the offseason, this is when we need it the most. Absolutely need it the most. I see we're doing a live stream now. I see there's a couple of people already in the chat room there. And I want to say hello to a couple of our listeners out there. Uh, hey, Daphne, I know you've been listening to the show. A couple other people have been following. And uh, there, I have a, uh, where is this one? Oh, um, uh, what's this? Uh, Zadelest, Z-A-D-E-L-S-T who gave me one of my favorite new reviews, which is, I'm the wrong person for the job, one star, maybe get someone less whiny and biased. So at least one person thinks I'm being whiny and biased. Not sure who I'm being biased to or against. I've made no bones about that I'm a native New Englander and I've grown up as a Boston fan, but I will praise the Yankees when they do something well, and I'll praise great Yankee players when they do something right. Um, anyone. I try not to be one of your bias today. In fact, today is going to be a relatively, uh, it's going to be Yankee-centric, this podcast. I'm not going to uh, lie to it. And if you're a Yankee fan who is listening to our podcast, uh, let me also recommend Locked on Yankees with the great Stacey Gatsoulias, who is the person who introduced me to the Locked on Podcast Network. And she has a fantastic podcast called Locked, you know, Locked on Yankees. And she is really... Uh, it's, if you're a Yankee fan, you'll love her show because it's terrific. And if you're not a Yankee fan, like I'm not, and I still listen to it all the time because I think she's really great. If you see me looking down, it's because I'm looking for my podcasting app. Here it is. And you'll see that one of my, uh, one of the shows that I subscribe to, where is it? Where did it go? It is indeed. There it is. There it is right there. Locked on Yankees right there. Okay, hey, uh, speaking Yankees, the and if you if you're watching us on the live stream, be sure to throw us a, something in the chat. Um, Aaron Judge, 
Maybe you're familiar with him. He is the linchpin that holds together the team. Number 99 holds together the team that won 99 games. And he has been a Yankee since, uh, you know, not quite a decade. Not quite a decade. You know my my thoughts. You know, once you play for a decade uh, for one team, you can't really ask for much more than that. But he's been there. He made his debut uh, at the end of the 2016 season. In a little bit of a splash, won the Rookie of the Year in 2017. So he's he's played six full seasons with the Yankees. And as is his right, he is testing free agency in a year where he led the league in runs, scored home runs, RBI, uh, on base, OPS, OPS plus, total bases, and a bunch of other stats that I probably can't comprehend. And off he goes. And he went out here. Now, you're Paul Sully. I am in California. Is that biased? Did I mention me being California as being biased? Both the Dodgers and the San Francisco Giants are playing footsie with Aaron Judge. Now, it looked like for a little bit there that the Yankees were going to do something really dumb, which is let Aaron Judge walk. Um, The fact of the matter is, I don't think the Yankees could possibly afford letting him go even if it means overpaying him. Because the Yankees are at a point where if they didn't have Aaron Judge in their lineup, they would be absolutely toast. You know, they had that terrible slump after the All-Star break, even with Aaron Judge having a historic season. He's the gigantic Jenga piece that if you take him out of this, he will fall apart. Now, the Dodgers are obviously on a quest to try to acquire every single free agent on the planet Earth, bring in every other big name they possibly can, and win a championship in a full 162-game season and have really their first normal championship since 1965 because they've had three championships since 1965, but they've all been a little weird. You had the 1981 World Series, which was a split season, with the strike in the middle of the year. And quite frankly, if they had done the standings the way they normally do, the Dodgers would have missed the playoffs altogether and the Reds would have been the National League West champion. Read split season 1981 if you don't know what I'm talking about. And then there was the 1988, which was a legit championship, 162-game schedule, blah, blah, blah. But it was weird because they were so clearly not the best team in the NLCS. The Mets were spectacular that year. The A's were fantastic. And they were a weird team that year filled with players who they basically just acquired, and most of them were off the team. There weren't a lot of beloved Dodgers on that team. Yes, you had Hershiser, and you had Sachs, and you had Marshall. And the cameo by um, Kirk Gibson made him a beloved Dodger because of what he did. But that was really his only one good year with the Dodgers. And that roster was filled with the likes of Alfredo Griffin and John Shelby and John Tudor and Tim Leary and Tim Belcher and Jay Howell, these people who were, you know, not exactly beloved Dodger lineup there. And then their most recent one was 2020, which, of course, was the best you could do. I mean, it was uh, the COVID season, which was shortened. But there you have it. And. So the Dodgers would like to have just a normal World Series championship. And if that means acquiring a big player like Judge, big both in terms of stature, in terms of what he means to the team, well, you know, 
there you go. And they're going to have a bunch of money come off the books. And I'm here in L.A., okay? The Dodgers play right down the street from me on the 110 heading towards Dodger Stadium. Stop by and visit. And quite frankly, Dodger fans are getting a little tired of the whole, okay, yeah, we made the playoffs. We didn't win again. We didn't win again. The only year they did win was the year that nobody could show up. So Judge is certainly in their sights. The Giants need a big star on their team. Now, granted, the um, the front office would probably like to spread the chips around a little more on the table, but this could be an instance where the management, you know, not the front office, but the ownership comes in and says, hey, um, we need a big star. Now, I think not only would it be a bad decision for the Yankees to let Judge go, but I think it would be a bad decision for Judge to go elsewhere. He has so much good money in the bank. And even though he has not won a World Series title yet with the Yankees, I think everybody knows it's not his fault. And there is a whole generation of Yankee fans who are coming of age now where Judge has been their guy. Judge has been the person to lead the squad. Judge has been there for the 2017, 18, 19, these years where they made it to the postseason, made it to the ALCS three times. And for a lot of people, if you know, using the rule of seven, there's a lot of teenagers and people who are growing up Yankee fans who Judge is really the only superstar they know. Yes, they've had players like that have been imported, like Garrett Cole, like Giancarlo Stanton. But he's a homegrown player who should be given the captainship because he's a leader on the field. He's he's a person you want other you want your other players to play with his intensity, with his intelligence, and with his productivity. He's been the guy. There is an entire generation of Yankee fans who are teenagers, who are coming of age, who Derek Jeter might as well be Joe DiMaggio and Lou Gehrig. It's in the past. They don't want to hear about the core four anymore. They don't give a damn about Posada. They don't give a damn about Rivera and Pettit. Those all have been retired their whole lives. If you think of someone who was born, oh, let's just hear the rule of seven which is you start following a baseball, you start having concrete memories of of when you are seven years old. Well, if you're a 14-year-old following the Yankees, you don't really remember Rivera or Jeter or any of them. 14 years old. Judge is your person. And if you're that age, you certainly don't remember a World Series being played in the Bronx. So you have to retain them. And the news is the Yankees are going to be offering them the sun, the moon, and the stars, and maybe the captainship. And quite frankly, I think that that's probably the best thing for everybody. Because even if he has a decline, even if judge numbers start to come down, and they almost would have to as he's getting into his 30s, He's not going to be hitting 50, 62 home runs a year. But so much happiness that he's brought to fans who are thinking, okay, here's a new Yankee team that we can get behind. That the goodwill around him is so strong that it wouldn't go away. And it reminds me of another player 
who was a Yankee hero in a certain era where they couldn't make it to the World Series, and that even when his productivity began to go down, the love for him never, ever went away. It was absolutely secure, this player, that wherever he went with the Yankees, his place in their home was secure. And if you want your home to be secure, may I recommend Simply Safe. Do you know that over the holidays, property crimes like burglaries and package thefts spike nationally? That's why our friends at Simply Safe Home Security are offering 50% off their award winning security system so that more families can feel safe and secure this holiday season. Order your Simply Safe system for half off today and enjoy advanced security and greater peace of mind this holiday season. Simply Safe was named Best Home Security System of 2022 by US News and World Report a third year in a row. Simply Safe is a whole home security with advanced sensors for every room, window, and door, HD security cameras for inside and out, smarter ways to detect motion that alert you only when a threat is real, and even hazard sensors, sensors sorry, that detect fires, floods, and other threats to your home. 24-7 professional monitoring service costs less than a dollar a day, less than half of the price of ADT's traditional professional installed system. With the top-rated Simply Safe app, stay in complete control of your system anytime, anywhere. Arm or disarm, unlock for a guest, and access your camera or adjust your system settings. Don't miss your chance to save big on the only security system that you should get. Get 50% off of any new Simply Safe system at simplysafe.com slash locked on MLB today. This is the biggest discount of the year. So don't wait. That's simply safe locked on simplysafe.com slash locked on MLB. There's no safe like simply safe. Yep, did that ad read live, ladies and gentlemen. Stumble through it, pressing on. Hey, a little bit of news in the American League East. Uh Don Mattingly, who was the manager of the Florida Marlins, or sorry, the Miami Marlins since 2016. Uh, they amic I assume they amicably split. They parted ways. Mattingly was never Kimming's guy. Off he goes, and he is now the bench coach for the Toronto Blue Jays. And it's gonna look weird to see Don Mattingly in a Toronto Blue Jays uniform. Uh, then it was also kind of weird to see him in a Dodger uniform and in a Marlin uniform for that matter. So um, I guess it all goes together. But Don Mattingly's coaching career is continuing. He's off to the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, yeah, I mean, Mattingly in so many ways is the prototype for that beloved Yankee in a troubled time. People my age, and, and Stacey Gatsoulias of Locked on Yankees, brings up her love for Don Manley all the time. If you grew up in the 80s, as, as we did, the 80s were a rough time to be a Yankee fan. The 80s are eerily similar to now, where the Yankees are good enough to be a contender, but not good enough to win a title. It's a little different now because in the 80s, you only had the East and West uh, division winners in the American League and National. You only had four playoff teams every year. And so the ability to finish in first place, there, there was no wild card. You had to win the division. And so there were several teams, including the 1985 team, that probably would have made the playoffs under the current system. 
And so they probably would have had a, a playoff team here or there. Instead, only two playoff teams in the 80s, the 1980 division champs and the 1981 American League champs in the strike year, same with the Dodgers of the split season. Now, and after that, in the 82, from 82 to 94, no postseason. Actually, I should amend that. 82 to 93, there were no postseason teams. The 94 team was probably going to win the pennant uh, or certainly going to win the division. Now, they may have lost to Chicago or they may have lost to Cleveland in the playoffs, but they certainly looked like the strongest team going in to the postseason. But then the strike pulled the rug out from them. Well, that period of time that I'm talking about was the exact period of time of Don Mattingly. Don Mattingly arrived in the Yankees in 1982. He made his debut in 1982, and he played until the end of the 1995 playoffs. His lone playoff appearance was the great, and for Yankee fans, excruciating five-game series against the Seattle Mariners. Along that time, he, like Aaron Judge, was an MVP. He, like Aaron Judge, was a homegrown star. And that was a time when the Yankees were picking stars from other teams. Dave Winfield arrived. Uh, Ricky Henderson arrived. They brought in a bunch of other players. Some worked out very well. The four, those two aforementioned, some not so well. Whether we're looking about um, with Steve Kemp or Rick Roden, some of those other players they tried to bring in that didn't quite work. Jack Clark. Actually, Jack Clark had an okay season his one year with the Yankees, but it really didn't seem to help matters. But he was the homegrown player who seemed like he would have fit in with the previous years. The Bronx Zoo years ended in 81 with the defection of Reggie Jackson. And at that moment, that piece removed from the squad and the fact, let's not remember, let's not, let's not, let's not forget, sorry, um, that this was the absolute apex of Steinbrenner meddling. The people were talking now, wishing that Hal was acting more like his father, should take a good long look at the 1980s when his father, George Steinbrenner, had the most power and had the most, uh, I guess, interaction with the team. This notion that George would make changes and would help him win titles was true in 1978 and never true again. He kept changing the managers every year, kept changing the GMs, kept making impulsive moves when he got angry, and it was a stretch where the Yankees couldn't win. But Mattingly was putting up the great numbers year in and year out. And the interesting thing that happened is when the Yankees started to get good again, starting around 1993, Mattingly's health was declining. He was still a productive hitter, but he was nowhere near the all-star he was. He was nowhere near the the MVP caliber player that he was before. Hey, Jay Spear. I saw Jay Spear said something in the, uh, in the chat there. And with that, the love that he had from the fan base, he had so much goodwill in the bank because he was the bright star for the teams that couldn't win. And for Yankee, it was also especially strong for the people who were too young to really remember the Bronx Zoo, where the Yankees won three straight pennants and won back-to-back World Series in 77 and 78. And so 
Mattingly was their guy in those lean years. And when he was starting to decline, there was such a sense of cheering him on. Come on, you want to get him over the hump. That became one of the great rallying cries of 1994 and 1995. Got to win a ring for Mattingly, the captain. Mattingly hit a home run in the 1995 playoffs at Yankee Stadium. And the eruption that came about when that home run was hit was absolutely deafening. There were a bunch of players hit home runs. The Labors hit the walk-off home run. You know, uh, there was a, a you know, a, I believe Ruben Sierra hit a big home run at one point. You know, there was, there was a lot of power from that team. But it was the home run that was hit by Mattingly that caused the biggest stir. And, of course, his career ended. The injuries and everything caught up with him. And they acquired Tino Martinez. And that was it for Don Mattingly. And I've talked about this before. But Mattingly had a career whose luck was so grotesque, so terrible, that it, it, it and that it has kept going into the decades that I jokingly said on Twitter, this guarantees that the Blue Jays are not going to the World Series next year and the Marlins will be. I say that with my tongue firmly in cheek, but think about this for a second. The Yankees w- went to the World Series in 1981. Don Mattingly arrived in 1982. The Yankees go on one of the longest stretches they've ever had without a trip to the World Series between 82 and 95. He retires after 1995. The first year that he's not on the Yankees, they win the World Series. And they went on a run that we've never seen since the era of Mickey Mantle. They win the World Series in 96. In 98, 99, 2000, they make the World Series in 2001. They make the World Series in 2003. In 2004, Mattingly returns to the team as a coach. They have the greatest collapse they've ever had in the postseason with Mattingly there. He's on the team as a coach in 2005. Don't make it to the ALCS. 2006, don't make it to the ALCS. 2007. Don't make it to the ALCS. He leaves with Joe Torre after 2007 season. In 2009, they win the World Series. He just completely fits in, like Tetris, fit in to have those unbelievably terrible runs where he's there, where they can't make, he has yet to appear in a World Series as a player, coach, or manager to this day. And he barely misses. And oh, yeah, he joins the Dodgers, first as a coach with Joe Torre. Then he manages the Dodgers. They get to the playoffs several times with Mattingly as the manager, but they can't get over the hump. And he leaves after the 20, what is it? Uh, the, he leaves after the 2015 season. And by 2017, they're back in the World Series, the Dodgers. So again, Mattingly can't participate in a World Series, but the Dodgers do in 2017, 2018, and they win in 2020. 
So a, a team where Mattingly's suiting up can't even play in the World Series, but they get to one soon after he leaves, which bodes unbelievably well for the Miami Marlins. That he's gone. It's like, okay, watch them win a pennant soon. We'll just watch that happen. If you don't believe they can, did you pick the Phillies this year? Huh? Watch it happen. And off he goes to Toronto, and they're not going to go. Aaron Judge does probably not want to join this strange fraternity that Don Manningly is the poster child for, for the unlucky Yankees, the player who was a Yankee when times were tough and they're not winning pennants and just misses getting a ring. Now, before Don Mattingly, the absolute pinnacle of that was Bobby Mercer. Bobby Mercer came to the Yankees in the late 60s, early 70s, when the team, the great Yankee teams of the past, finally, the the, the run finally ended. It ended in the mid-60s, and they stopped going to the World Series. They collapsed. The uh, Their farm system finally dried out. And I think no small part of that is the fact that the A's, for a period of time, was acting like a de facto farm team for the Yankees. I talked about this in a podcast a few weeks ago, so look that one up. But the ownership of the A's and the ownership of the Yankees, they had similar financial uh, connections. And so the Yankees would send them broken down major leaguers, and the A's would send the Yankees, send back to the Yankees their best players. And there were the, they just kept going back and forth like it was a minor league team. And once that plug was pulled out from the Yank, from the from the A's, and Charlie Finley bought the A's, suddenly they didn't have that partner, that quadruple A team that they could just develop players through. And other teams, you know, a draft was instituted pretty soon. Other teams' uh, ability to scout uh, in, improved. And next thing you know, teams like the Orioles, teams like the Twins were uh, basically off they go and overtook the Yankees. Because at that time, Bobby Mercer emerged as a the new Oklahoma-born star who was going to be the great player for the Yankees. And he was, he had a fine career and did his job as a Yankee with a lot of dignity and grace and as an all-star hitter. But those years in the 70s, when their team was still owned by CBS, couldn't get out of their own way. They had a couple of real, they had a couple of contending years, but they weren't better than Baltimore. They were edged out by the Red Sox in, in 75. They didn't have a great team. And Bobby Mercer was traded from the Yankees to the San Francisco Giants for another Bobby, Bobby Bonds. And Mercer was miserable in San Francisco. Now, Bobby Bonds only spent one year with the Yankees, and he was traded to the California Angels to bring in Mickey Rivers and Ed Figueroa. And next thing you know, the Yankees were back in the World Series while Bobby Mercer was toiling in San Francisco and later with the Chicago Cubs. And Mercer was watched from afar as the team that he was there that was being developed with the likes of Thurman Munson, of Roy White, of Sparky Lyle, were coming, were, were gelling and becoming a pennant winner 
Well, he was stuck in Candlestick and Wrigley. And so he missed the 76, 77, and 78 World Series. In 79, the Yankees reacquired him. But they missed the playoffs that year. And that was also the year that Thurman Munson died. They made the playoffs in 80. And they went to the World Series in 81. So unlike Mattingly, Mercer did play in the World Series. But the Yankees didn't win it. Mercer hung around for a few more years. And then his career was over. He became a beloved broadcaster until he died. And I'm sure the Yankees gave him a ring for his troubles. But his playing career missed those times in an agonizing way. The Yankees acquired Dave Winfield to be the next big superstar. And they did go to the World Series with him in 81. He famously had an awful World Series. We only got, he, I think I only got one hit. And it led to Steinbrenner's bizarre obsession with Dave Winfield, where at one point he hired private investigators to track down his own players and, and go through his charity stuff. Eventually, the Yankees cut ties with him, trading him off to the Angels. And Winfield did win his World Series as a member of the Toronto Blue Jays. But that stretch between 81 and him being traded to the Angels midway through the 1990 season was, well, another rough luck for a great, great Yankee and an underrated Yankee in some ways. Tommy John, you know, the guy with the surgery, man, he had horrible luck with both the Dodgers and the Yankees. He basically became a guinea pig. He was a terrific pitcher with the Indians, White Sox, and Dodgers, but then his career was over because of the, the tendon snapping in his arms until he had the experimental surgery. And that experimental surgery took place in 1974. That was a year the Dodgers went to the World Series, but they didn't have Tommy John on the team, and they wound up losing to Oakland in five games. The Dodgers were probably better than the A's that year, but they didn't have Tommy John, and it wound up costing them. Tommy John's career rebounded in a way where we now have his surgery named after him, and by 1977, he was back being one of the best pitchers in baseball and was part of the Dodger team that won back-to-back pennants in 77 and 1978. But here's the deal. Those teams lost to, drumroll please, the Yankees. So in 1979, Tommy John joined the Yankees and played with the Yankees. And a couple, he had a couple of stints with the Yankees from 1979 to 1988. He had a couple of detours there, and one I'll get to specifically. He did get to play in another World Series, but the Yankees lost that to the Dodgers. The Yankees played the Dodgers in 1977, 1978, 1981 in the World Series, and Tommy John managed to be on the losing side all three times. In 81, he played for the Angels, who blew the easiest putt to win the pennant when they're up 2-0 against an injury-filled Milwaukee team and somehow lost the final three games. Thank you, Gene Mock. Tommy John wound up having some fine seasons in the late 1980s with the Yankees, but again, they couldn't win it. Rick Cerrone was another one, the catcher, essentially the person who was acquired to replace Thurman Munson. And throughout the 1980s, he was a steady player on the Yankees, had several stints with the Yankees, actually, the first main one, and then also he kept coming back in the late 80s, you know, bouncing between the Brewers, Mets, and Yankees. But again, couldn't win a World Series. 
and maybe there's there's some other ones like Mike Stanley, who was a solid Yankee when they were starting to reemerge in the mid 1990s, and he played on the 1995 playoff team, but in 1996 was with the Red Sox, so he missed that World Series. In 97, the Yankees reacquired him, and they went back to the playoffs but lost. In 98, he was no longer on the Yankees as he bounced between the A's and the Red Sox for the next few years while the Yankees were winning the World Series every time. The Yankees, between 1993 and 1998, every year that they didn't win the World Series, Mike Stanley was on the team. He managed to perfectly thread it. Jason Giambi is another one, and he was a Yankee from 2002 until 2008. You'll notice that period of time perfectly missed the World Series titles, as did Mike Mussina, who arrived with the Yankees in 2001 and pitched his final game in 2008 and managed to miss both the 2000 and the 2009 World Series, therefore ending any chance of him winning a World Series ring. Dave Rigetti and Roberto Kelly were big stars when the Yankees were not very good at all. Rigetti played in one World Series with the Yankees, but he never played on a World Series winner. Roberto Kelly was the all-star for the Yankees when they absolutely stunk. And by the time they traded him off for Paul O'Neill, he, he started bouncing around, including making another cameo with the Yankees, but never won a World Series ring. But here's the deal about both Rigetti and Roberto Kelly. They became part of Bruce Bochy's coaching staff and along the way picked up several World Series rings for the Troubles as coaches, along with their teammate Hensley Mullins. So, hey, there you go. Judge doesn't want to be part of that group. Judge, Judge doesn't want to be part of that list of Yankee stars who missed winning a chance to win a World Series. Rico Baker, who's uh, listening to us right now, great baseball name, by the way, uh, an NLA's team has won the pennant in the last three full seasons, and it's always a different NLA's team, so maybe Scully is on to something. Well, it's Sully, for those of you keeping score at home. But yeah, and boy, wouldn't that be the ultimate middle finger to the Mets if the Braves, Nationals, Phillies, and Marlins all get to go to the, the, the World Series before the Mets do. Well, we'll see. But hey, Aaron Judge is going to sign somewhere. I think it's probably going to happen pretty soon. And quite frankly, I think it would be bananas if it was any team but the Yankees. If he sticks around, well, he could become a great Yankee captain, maybe a great Yankee champion, or may join the Bobby Mercers and the Don Mattingly's and the Mike Messina's as those Yankee stars who just missed them. But, hey, you're not missing this show, and I want to thank you so much for making Locked On MLB your first listen today. For your second listen, check out Locked On Sports today. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights that only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports today is available on this app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Talking about the Yankees and some of the big stars whose luck is not that great This has been Locked on MLB. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.